Hello and welcome to the Board Shorts podcast brought to you by Get On Board Australia, the destination for new and aspiring board members and company directors. This podcast is called Board Shorts because boards and governance can sometimes be a really dry topic. And if I can't communicate board and director related concepts and information to you in 30 minutes or less, then I don't think I'm doing it right. I'm Lisa Cook, Founder and Managing Director of Get On Board Australia, and I hope to make this podcast and the information I share valuable and useful to new and aspiring company directors and board members like you. In today's episode, I talk with Ruth Morgan about why wellbeing should be on a board's agenda. We cover everything from personal well-being through to employee well-being, looking at ways we can incorporate well-being into our own lives and how, as board members, we can embed well-being throughout the organisation, making it positively contribute to business outcomes. Ruth is an executive performance and career well-being coach specialising in working with executive leaders to elevate their performance and optimise their well-being and the well-being of the organisations they lead. After 25 years in the executive recruitment and career transition industries, Ruth now supports executives through all phases of their career to step up and embed strategies which enable healthy, sustainable, high performance. Ruth believes your board and professional career should add to your life, not detract from it, making it essential to align your career with your passion and purpose. Ruth helps her clients uncover patterns in their career that could be preventing them from reaching their potential. Her mission is to elevate the performance and enjoyment for executive leaders so they can push the limits in a sustainable way and have the clarity of thought that keeps them ahead of the competition. Get ready to take some notes on this one. Thanks for joining me today, Ruth. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the invite, Lisa. And thanks for sharing this sort of topic with your um, market as well, because it's a pretty important topic. And I think there's a lot of confusion around exactly what well-being is when it comes to the workplace. Absolutely. So why don't we start there? Sure. What do we mean when we talk about well-being, particularly in a work context? Mm. Um, I mean, firstly, I hear a lot of people talking about wellness as opposed to well-being, and there is a, a difference. Um, and I guess my definition is wellness is more the health side of things, purely the health side of things, and it's more physical. Well-being is made up of health, career well-being, financial well-being, social well-being and community well-being. They're the five key characteristics that um, typically show up when people are achieving well-being, which is more of a state of mind and a state of being. It's thriving in life. Um, And career well-being is the biggest has the biggest impact on all those other areas of your life. So that's the area that I focus on in my business because if you're not happy at work, you come home, you know, you take it out on relationships, um, it impacts your financial success, your health, every other aspect of your life. So career wellbeing really is one of the, the biggest areas to have a look at. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly for people who are on boards as well. So it's not only looking out for their own well-being, but that of others as well. So many of our listeners are professionals by day Mm. and board members by night. So how can they appropriately balance their professional career with their board career 
without having to compromise on their well-being. Absolutely. And it's a huge commitment when you join a board. I was on a, a non-for-profit board and it was an operational board, so it was like having a second job. And my biggest advice to people joining a board is don't join a board just for the status of saying that you're on a board. It really needs to align with your values, as does your career. You know, if you are doing what you love, then typically you have more energy. It doesn't drain your energy, it actually energises you. So I think the first thing is when you're looking at what board to join, make sure it's congruent with your values. You know, what do you love? What's important to you? Because, And especially if, you know, you are passionate about your community, then a non-for-profit board or a community-focused board might be the way to go because it's really feeding that side of your well-being. If, however, um, you know, that's not a passion of yours and you join a non-for-profit board, you're going to find it a struggle. It's not going to be enjoyable and it's really going to zap your energy. So I think the first thing is, you know, in the selection of the board that you join. I think another thing that I've noticed on boards is they can be quite stressful if people are not communicating clearly, not, you know, they're at cross purposes, you know, I've noticed a lot of people that the conversation will go round and round, will reach a conclusion, and then someone will start to start the conversation again, and it can get very frustrating. So it's actually worthwhile, you know, tabling perhaps board hygiene as a an agenda item to actually look at how are we going to make this efficient, because you don't want to end up resenting being on the board you want to enjoy it absolutely and i think then just some some logical things you know board meetings can go for two or three hours it's very hard to sit there and be focused and have the mental clarity for three hours so to actually schedule some little five minute breaks every hour get up and stretch um refresh do some breathing exercises Um, you know especially when you feel like you've got to keep pushing through just to actually take some time out to re-energize then allows you to launch back in with more focus um, be more decisive so they're just some tips and I think you know trying to fuel yourself in preparation for a board meeting as well our board meetings used to be 5.30 till sort of 7.30, 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would always try and prepare a meal before the board meeting so that I wasn't sitting there distracted, you know, and didn't have the energy and the sugar lows and all of that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So I think they're just some, you know, some little tips to help, um, you know, in the board meeting. Another thing is, you know, when you're sitting in your day job, quite often board functions um, you might get an email and people can be very reactive in their day-to-day and it's about making a conscious decision about whether it's going to be integrated or segregated from your day job Mm -hmm. and once you make that conscious decision then you've got more control and power rather than feeling like you're um, you know bouncing all over the place Mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is if you're integrating it and an email comes in, then make time in your day to deal with those things. If you are segregating board and work, then communicate that with the rest of the board, mm. that you're not going to respond until after hours. Um, so just putting those sort of practices in place, I think, helps free up your headspace so that you're not constantly, you know, one foot in each camp. Yeah, absolutely. And that one you said about board hygiene, mm. having that conversation around the board table about 
how you work as a team, what's expected when you're meeting together or when you're responding to emails out of hours and things like that. It's hugely important because you can just fall into the trap of reacting, 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 or thinking you have to be constantly available and responsive where that's not always the case. Things can wait. It's Mm. just setting those expectations and having that understanding as a team. Absolutely. And that's the thing, setting those expectations because quite often we start off on the board, we're very passionate, we're enthusiastic, we respond to things straight away and then you get busy with your day job and and with life and then you can't respond that quickly but people have that expectation that you do. And it's like when you start off in a job as well. Just be conscious of what... You mess, what you're messaging, what what sort of expectation you're setting from the get go, you know, just pull, you pull back the temptation to to respond immediately to everything, so that you train your co board members um, how you work. Yeah, and if people need an immediate response, yeah. have a system of how that works. Yeah. Is it a phone call instead of an email, or at least on the email, put urgent response needed by this sort of time. Absolutely. Yeah, all of that stuff is hugely important. So why is it so hard for us to adopt well-being practices? I think we've come from a um, a workforce where one of the ethics is it's a badge of honour to work hard, you know, to get by with minimal sleep, to really sacrifice for the sake of your career and your job and, you know, be that sort of hero. And I think, you know, we've seen the toll that that takes on people and it's not sustainable. Um, but there's still that, you know, even when I started in the workforce, you know, there's still that ingrained management style that I was brought up under that was you know work hard you don't go you know leave on time and there's all these work ethics floating around from um you know early on in our careers so I you know we've grown up in a space where it's not acceptable to prioritize your health um or god forbid your life over work and it seems counterintuitive but it's that old um you know motto on the airlines you know put your oxygen mask on first before you can help others and if you're not sustaining yourself then you're no good to your organization you're no good to your team and once again you'll become quite resentful and it's not sustainable so I think that is that's one thing and it just seems counterintuitive doesn't it when you are trying to achieve outcomes to stop and go for a walk for 10 minutes at lunch or just to sit and do a 30-second quick meditation or, you know, just to stop and, mm. and try and quieten the mind. So it seems counterintuitive, plus it's it's our training and our education. And I think people see these sort of well-being practices being in the way of productivity mm. rather than on the way to being productive. You know, these things actually escalate productivity they don't inhibit it so it's 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 a real mindset shift that we've got to make to get the um some of those old thoughts and beliefs out of the way absolutely there's i struggle with this personally so i don't think anyone's (laughs) immune to it but there's a practice that i well a mantra let's call it Mm. that i've adopted for me personally which is go slow to go fast love it and so realizing that when you're feeling chaotic the best thing to do is probably walk away from the desk walk away from the laptop put the phone <laughs> step down away. Yeah, step away <laughs> from the vehicle and just 
take that 10, 15 minutes um, to lay down. I find laying right. flat on the yep. ground or in bed. Yep. Um, I work from home, so I it's can just pop into the next room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be good if we all had a bed at work or we could just pop in for a quick nap? But I find that that really rejuvenates me and refocuses and gives you that chance to think about what's the priority. Mm. What, what do I next need to be working on mm. that's going to be of maximum value to my life, yeah, whatever's absolutely. happening there, whether that's a career objective, a board thing that you're working yeah. on, whatever it is. I always find, you know, when you are in your head and you've got all these thoughts happening the best way is absolutely you know distance yourself from it but do something physical so the walk the breathing you know Mm. to shift out of your head and into your body Mm. um and then that sort of helps empty the mind give a bit of space and i mean that's what meditation and mindfulness is all about it's Mm. about just clearing some space in your your mind so that new thoughts can enter Mm. and that's when innovation happens um you know that's when you get clarity you get focus so absolutely yeah rarely do we have our best ideas when we're sitting at our desk we no. have them when we're exercising, driving, in the shower. Absolutely. Whatever it is. When your mind is empty. I can remember mm. I came up with the concept for, um, you know, one of my business ideas when I was doing the vacuuming one day on a weekend. And, you know, it's a mindless activity where you are just focused on, you know, the dirt on the floor. And, um, you know, it just entered my, yeah. my head. But, um, no, it, it is, a, I think, you know, clearing, clearing space for those sort of thoughts. But it... It just seems counterintuitive to people. It does. Mm. And it's hard to break that cycle that we've been living in for so long. It is. I think we've got to embrace being a bit weird, you know. Absolutely. It's, it's about um, showing people absolutely what it takes. And I've worked in the corporate sector for 30 years and, you know, highly competitive offices that I've worked in. And um, especially when I started, I was the youngest recruitment consultant in an organisation and everybody seemed more mature and more serious. And so you try and be like those people. Mm. And then it's funny because as you mature, you think, oh my God, I wish I could just be that free, different, odd person. Um, And it's about sort of embracing that side of yourself and whatever works for you. Yeah, I think that's the key is finding mm. what works for you. Yeah. yeah. So what are some simple ways that someone can incorporate well-being into their daily life? Yeah. And look, it is it is a case of finding out what works for you because we all need different things. And it's a, a case of looking at where you're starting from and taking small steps because some people, you know, you might look at somebody who you think, wow, I love the way they operate. I love their the way they structure their day, etc. But that might be a huge transition for you so it's about taking little steps in that direction and figuring out what you need so I mean it all starts with a a great morning routine and setting yourself up for success Mm -hmm. Um, and that might be getting up and going for a walk doing just five or ten minutes of meditation getting outside um, but when you're at work you know even when you're on the phone just standing up when you're on a phone call that will get you out of your chair and then it's a habit and you're you're linking it to something that you're already doing so it's it's effortless Mm. it's when you've got to add in additional things Mm -hmm. it's a bit hard to think of so the more you can make it a habit um the easier it'll be Mm. you know getting up and going and talking to a colleague rather than sending an email um taking the stairs just for a couple of flights or first thing in the morning 
programming, scheduling into your calendar to go out for a walk for 10 or 15 minutes in your lunch break. Even on those busy days, you'll be far more productive. Detoxing before you go to bed, digital detox. Mm. You know, put your phone away for an hour because it's very hard if you're engaged on your emails or if you're looking at Facebook and an email you know, flicks up. It's very easy to get engaged with that. And then how do you switch off one minute and go to bed? So, you know, when we, when we have kids, we get them into a routine of bath, bottle, bed, and it's all to, to build that, those triggers to get them to sleep. So, you know, sleep is pretty critical in this, in this area. So to try and um, train yourself to have a nighttime routine as well. Absolutely. Um, 30 second breathing exercises. That's something else I do when you finish a task and before you launch into the next one, you know, just even three deep breaths, just to stop and do that. It doesn't look odd doing that in your office or at your desk. You can get away with doing that unnoticed, but it's just like closing off one thing and then mentally moving to another. So mm-hmm. it helps compartmentalize the task. So you're not, you know, your brain doesn't feel like a desk covered with all these files. You can be focused on the one thing that you're doing. Yep. And just observe the impact that your nutrition is having on you as well you know I noticed this um you know when I started my business and I was doing a lot of research a lot of thinking and if I had something for me it was sugar if I had something sugary it would just give me brain fog and I wouldn't be able to think as clearly and as crisply as if I was eating something healthy so just observe what impact Mm -hmm. different things have on your mental capacity yeah connect back to your body yeah people do that yeah we switch off and and that's Mm. one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that you know when people are operating at such a high level under pressure they do you you learn to push through the pain and switch Mm. off from your body Mm -hmm. which can be deadly you know because Ariana Huffington for example she um you know, runs Huffington Post. She was working from home one day and she actually collapsed at home, hit her head on the corner of the desk as she was falling and was just laying on, woke up laying on the, the floor in a pool of blood. And, you know, her first thought was, well, this isn't success. You know, this isn't how success looks. But also then she started to think, why, did, why wasn't I aware that I was heading in that direction yeah. two weeks ago? And I've, I think it's because people just push off, um, switch off physically mm-hmm. and disconnect. We, we sort of push through the pain, you know, no pain, no gain. Mm. And people just ignore those physical symptoms until it's too late. And Absolutely. then if you ignore them, they get louder. Yeah, and then it's a catastrophe. Absolutely. And you're set back even further for longer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit now, there's a greater awareness of and focus on employee well-being at work, particularly on psychological safety and mental health. What do you see is the board's responsibility in relation to employee well-being and psychological safety? Absolutely. I mean, you know, firstly, I guess from a board's perspective, you know, boards are interested in profit and loss and balance sheets, so figures. Um, And 
the well-being well-being is the um, you know elevating the performance optimizing the performance of the people in your organization so if you're not doing it there is a huge cost mm -hmm. if you are doing it there are huge gains so some of the costs and PwC um, you know consistently do a report on mental health conditions across Australian workforces and we look it costs workforces 10.9 billion a year wow. in mental health I mean that's probably increased these results were from what I could find were a couple of years ago so they must be due to put out another report presenteeism which is disengagement so having people at work they're, they're present but they're not engaged mm. mentally costs almost four times as much as absenteeism so 34 billion a year wow huge figures and 60 percent of lost work days each year can be attributed to work-related stress Wow. So these are all things that we can intervene with. Um, and stress-related claims cost Australian business more than $200 million annually. So they're big, big figures. Mm. So on the positive side, though, if you increase employee engagement or it, wellbeing strategies can increase employee engagement by over 40%. And creativity and innovation by 50%. Wow. So when you look at, um, you know, businesses have been through major restructuring, downsizing, doing more with less. You know, we've stripped business to the bone. Mm. So how are we going to differentiate ourselves in a highly competitive market these days? Well, it's through um, intellectual property. It's through human capital mm -hmm. and that comes down to you know what's what's going on between the years so it's it's a you know critical critical investment for organizations to make to optimize performance and um organizations that invest in well-being are four times less likely to lose their talent so staff retention mm -hmm. is pretty critical and that's a huge cost to organizations Absolutely. um so, so from a, they're the financial reasons, you know, why it's important. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, you know, boards are highly focused on risk management strategies. This is a risk management strategy. You know, the, the, the impact it has is lost productivity, loss of retention, recruitment costs, presenteeism, and an increase of safety incidents and compensation payouts. When people aren't focused when they're not mindful, when they're not doing something they're interested in, they're, they're not paying attention mm. and it can lead to accidents. Mm -hmm. So that comes back to your recruitment strategies and making sure that people are in the right job, it's aligned with their values. So better wellbeing just makes sense. It delivers stronger engagement, greater resilience, improved productivity and sustained higher performance. Not to mention when you've got an engaged workforce or a disengaged workforce, how much time, energy and effort it takes for your leadership team to manage people, the square pegs in the round holes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so there's a lot of reasons why the board should be interested in whether their organisation is taking wellbeing seriously. And I can remember probably two years ago there was an article in the Fin Review how they were looking at bringing wellbeing measures into the, into the balance sheet like wow. to actually be measured and for CEO bonuses to have a well-being component in there to make sure that they are not just focused on the financial results but they want to do it in a sustainable way. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a little bit like that triple bottom line yep. but extended a little bit. Absolutely. So how, how does one measure 
employee wellbeing? Look, it's I guess there's the obvious things around present. Oh, they can measure presenteeism, so you know productivity, mm-hmm. um, absenteeism, and the um, you know the the workers' comp claims, and also staff turnover. So there's some of the the easier things um, to to measure. When it comes to measuring um, individual wellbeing, and one of the surveys I use is a Global Leadership Wellbeing Survey, it is an individual tool. We don't benchmark your wellbeing against other CEOs or managing Mm -hmm. directors because it's such an individual thing. So it's a case of, you know, the individual measuring and tracking their wellbeing um, you know, throughout the year. But from an organisational perspective, I guess there's some of the key indicators that would show you if there's an issue. And, you know, these are all the surface issues. The thing is to get down to the root cause of mm. what's causing it. Are absolutely. people taking stress leave? Why are they taking stress leave? Mm, absolutely. So, so how do you see this fitting in with workplace health and safety laws? It Look, Um, employers do have an obligation under um, WHS uh, legislation to not only look after or or make sure that the work environment is physically safe but mentally safe as well. Mm -hmm. So it is it has been added into the the act and that extends to areas like mental health and work-life balance so monitoring a worker's health you know that they have a responsibility to prevent illness and injury in the workplace Um, and that that does extend to the uh, the mental health side of things Mm. you know I know a lot of organizations get the the health checks in which is great you know, to, to help leaders really stop and look at their heart health and everything mm. else. So, but th- there is absolutely an obligation under the WHS Act. Yeah. So mm. it's serious stuff that we all need to pay attention to. Yeah. yeah. So if there's no signs of any sort of outward significant problems, how can employee wellbeing be leveraged for improved business outcomes? Absolutely. I guess it really, you know, when an organisation is ticking along really well and they've got their well-being under control, then it's it's an attractor for potential employees as well. So they become an employer of choice. People actually want to work there. Um, it does help them screen in and screen out who's going to be the right cultural fit. And I met with the MD of Oz Minerals a while ago and he, um, you know, is, um, I know people that have worked for him and speak exceptionally highly of Andrew and love the culture there, but it's a particular culture. And Andrew is very clear on, you know, people are either going to fit this culture or they're not, but that's what wellbeing comes down to. Mm-hmm. It's making sure you're in the right culture. So it helps build a team of people who are congruent with the organisational culture and values. So I think another law firm, I met a chap at a networking event the other night and um, he said that, you know, when they interview their staff, they're quite open about saying, you know, you need to be open to talking about your personal life at work. We want to get to know the whole person and help you, you know, support you. So I think bit by bit organisations are recognising that, you know, you don't just accept part of the person when they come to work for you, you accept the whole person. But also it's about, you know, if you've got a team that's doing well, how do we sustain that without them burning out? Mm. So I put a proposal into an organisation just last week who has got a high-performing sales team, 
they've been through some restructuring, they're doing very well. He wants to make sure that they maintain that level of performance and, mm. and leverage it. So he's looking at bringing in the wellbeing survey to help coach individuals to set up some strategies to really optimise their performance and wellbeing. Mm, that's fantastic. Yeah. And some of that, I think, applies to boards as a team as well. What You talked about getting to know the whole person. Yeah. I always find the boards where they're the best performing team is where you've you've actually made the opportunities to connect with each other away from the boardroom on more of a personal level absolutely well relationships are a pretty critical element of well-being and in the leadership survey that I was talking about we look at you know critical relationships across working well and living well because mm. you know those two areas mesh together they're integrated and relationships have a massive impact on your well-being i mean you know i'm sure we've all worked with a colleague that's been a bit of a thorn in our side and once again you know the interactions might only be a few minutes a day but mentally you carry that with you and, and that becomes yes. exhausting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and I think that, you know, there's results out there that say as well, people who are quite isolated, you know, it has an impact on their life longevity. You know, when you are more interactive, when you invest in your social life and your social connections mm-hmm. and relationships, you live longer. Absolutely. So it's critical. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some simple and affordable ways that organisations can implement wellbeing practices into their workplaces? Yeah, and look, you know, we see a lot of the fruit baskets in the kitchen, the flu shots, and there that, that comes down to more the wellness side of things, mm. and it's a little bit of a Band-Aid approach. I mean, it's lovely. Don't get me wrong. I've had organisations who are very generous and do all of that lovely stuff, which is wonderful, um, but we really want to get down to a deeper level, and I think if people's hearts and are in the right place around well-being then they will invest in some independent support in this area because you know people aren't going to open up to a colleague necessarily or a boss Mm -hmm. about what's not working in their life Mm -hmm. so you know coaching which is what I do with people I go in and we start with this leadership um, well-being survey which subtly um, helps people draw out, you know, all of those areas of their life. And what's always fascinating is that this survey actually gives them what their perception of their well-being is, and then you know we've got graphical information to show exactly what's going on. And quite often there is a, a disconnect. So it, that that's fascinating in itself. Mm-hmm. I think um, you know technology creep is another massive. Um, impact on people's well-being and there's a few interesting organizations that are doing interesting things out there um who was it volkswagen have a policy where they've provided employees who aren't part of the management team with phones and the phones are programmed so that from 6 p.m to 7 a.m it switches off their work emails being accessible on their phone mm-hmm. because they don't think that their normal employees should have to be connected to work they want them to have downtime You know, Cheryl Sandberg, who's the CEO of Facebook, said that when she cut her hours back when she had children, she was actually more productive. So, you know, those work flexibility options. I think when you recruit well, have the right culture, you can trust people and give them some flexibility and allow them to manage, you know, and and it's give and take. I've all, you know, for many years worked part-time and it's give and take. You're more dedicated when, you know, you've got a bit of that flexibility. Um, 
there's a professor at Harvard Business School, Leslie Perlow, who introduced something called predictable time off, where you, you take a planned night off a week, you know, there's no emails, no smartphones, um, and, you know, typically when organisations have done that, they've actually noticed increased productivity in their staff. Um, a learning and development company instructed their employees that internal email was forbidden for a week and it actually forced wow. people to get up and go and talk to people but you look at how many emails you know people just yeah. it's almost like loving the sound of your own voice they like to be seen via email mm. and I've worked in environments where it was death by email and it's like you know unless you're actually adding value don't contribute don't jump in mm. um so i think some policies are or it doesn't have to be as formal as a policy but just even reviewing the email communication 28 percent of our working week is spent reading emails which is wow. crazy how unproductive is that mm. so as a as a owner of a company or a board why would you want your workforce bogged down with unnecessary emails so mm. i would be trying to you know build a culture uh, that that was less reliant on emails um you know once again looking looking at meeting hygiene yep People talk for the sake of talking. I think have some have some protocols around how we're going to have efficient meetings. How we're going to have productive meetings. Nobody likes being in meetings. How can we not have a meeting <laughs> as much as possible? Like meetings should be the last resort. Absolutely. It was funny. I interviewed this lady once who, uh, and I guess you can apply it to meetings. But when she started, she was a financial controller, and she started in this massive organisation. And, you know, obviously there were some critical reports she needed to produce, but there were a whole bunch of reports that she really didn't know what purpose, who they were going to. She said to her team, okay, we're not doing any of these reports and we'll see who complains. And I thought, what a great strategy. Let's just see what difference mm -hmm. it makes by having a meeting or not having a meeting. Yep. You know, as I said, there's some critical ones that you need to have, but I'm sure there's a whole lot of other stuff that's just been built up and just keep rolling along for the sake just of it. Just because we've always done it that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. And and those sort of things, those little outward signs and symbols and signals all go to reinforce a culture as well. So if mm. those people who are always emailing everyone at work and CCing everyone, if mm. the team's seeing those people being elevated yeah. through to leadership yes. positions, they're going to start thinking, well, that's what I have to do to get that's ahead. Right. So everyone jumps on board. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, they are, they are indicators. Why, why do you have this need to be visible? Where have you not? Like, this is where the coaching comes in. Mm -hmm. Get some executive coaching for these people because they are, you know, filling a void, but it's impacting other people. Where have they had a need in their life? Where have they been invisible? And mm. now they're trying to compensate for that, you know? So let's get, if yeah, there's some behaviours that are... <laughs> <laughs> that is going deep. But these are all symptoms that there's an issue behind the scenes. Absolutely. And it's unproductive for them. It could be career limiting for them and it's going to impact the rest of their team. Yeah. And you want to come at them from that quote-unquote loving place to help Absolutely. them rather than say you're doing this wrong oh, stop it exactly it's mm -hmm. you know and and the more somebody can come to the self-realization without being told the more empowering it is for them because they're making that that um, neurological connection with what's going on and once they've labeled it and seen it and recognize it then they'll do something about it yep. but if you tell somebody they're just going to get defensive and absolutely. not respond absolutely so, yeah mm. it's treading lightly but i also 
am reading a lot lately around chronotypes and that's around understanding what time of day you work best. Right, yes. And so I think it ties in with the flexible work arrangements where I see a point of switching off employees' emails, sort of what is traditionally called outside of business hours. Yep. But if you've got a team member that their optimal time to work is in the late evening into the night... Mm but they come into the office later or they work from home, then I see there's value in letting that person work when they're going to produce their best work rather than have the phenomenon of presenteeism just because I want to see them sitting at a desk. But I think the good thing there is that, you know, then it would spark a conversation where you actually put some structure in place around it. So once again, the individual takes control and it's not this ad hoc phenomenon that Mm -hmm. there's no boundaries around it, Mm -hmm. but they actually have to have a conversation to set some boundaries in place so they're taking control they're adding some structure there's some boundaries because otherwise it can become a blur but absolutely one thing I look at is energy management people's cycles Mm -hmm. of energy and how to structure your workflow as much as possible so that you are you know doing the creative work at the best time doing those sort of you know mind numbing or repetitive tasks when you're not in your innovative space absolutely yeah no great and I think making a shift like that particularly if we're looking at it from the board perspective, requires quite a significant shift in mindset from mm-hmm. the board members around the table who would have, like you said, been raised and brought up through that business environment Absolutely. where it was you work nine to five or seven till seven yeah. and you're at your desk, oh. you're in the office, that's where you do your work, that's what I need to see you there. Yeah. And so it comes back to then the whole change management that has to go on with people around the board table to even Absolutely. get into that mindset to implement it into the workplace. And it's interesting because I met with Nikki Vincent, who's the Commissioner for Equal Opportunity, a while ago. And, you know, she has a, a, quite a different work structure. She'll make sure she goes for a hike in the morning. Um, you know, she'll come into work just a little bit later, but she's working into the evening. Uh, and that's what people don't see. You know, we are accessible um, via our phone and whatever. Mm-hmm any time of the day and I think you've got to have that sort of give and take mentality Mm -hmm. because people are putting in a lot more that goes unseen and um, once again comes back to recruiting right making sure people are passionate about what they're doing because then they're focused on outcomes and contribution Um, so yeah I I think um, when you put the right people in the right jobs it does allow for that flexibility to work better yep Mm. and get reinforced yeah Yeah. well ruth it's been amazing talking with you there are so many avenues that we could just talk about (laughs) for days i'm sure but before we sign off how can people find you sure thing um well lots of ways so i've got my my website which is creatinghealthycareers.com and if they want to sign up and get I, i don't bombard people but monthly emails with tips or tools they can do that. Um, obviously, my, I mean, my work email is ruth at creatinghealthycareers.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I've got a business Facebook page as well, um, and there's an Instagram page. So there's there's lots of ways. I can't escape. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Always connected. And we'll definitely have links to those in the show notes Lovely. as well so people Thank can you. find you easily. So Beautiful. thanks so much for your time today, Ruth. It's Thank been awesome. You. Thanks very much, Lisa. 
Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are certainly a lot of takeaways there that you can implement directly onto your boards and into your professional career as well. If you'd like to find more information about the podcast, you can go to getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast.